And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 140 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And uh, Andy, 140 straight innings without a run. Um, what's going on with the Giants? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's. Um, I, I think we're, we're starting to hear the, the drum beat. And, uh, and everyone's getting a little restless, a little nervous. It's, uh, you know, when, when you're basically the best team in the National League for oh, 40% of the season, and you really weren't supposed to be, confirmation bias is strong, and people are looking for reasons to either dismiss the Giants, or if you're a Giants fan, to be like, when is, you know, the glass slipper going to uh, break or whatever. They still split the series. They still, <laughs> they, they went on the road to the, to the East Coast in the hot and miserable weather, so I'm told, and that's normally, you know, when, hey, you take a split, absolutely, and that's what they did. Okay, they scored three runs in four games, and they needed, oh, a game-saving catch from Mike Talkman again, and they needed Victor Robles to kind of forget how to run the bases in extra innings to, to win a game that was 0-0 after seven, but they still found a way to win two games out of four, and that's kind of the mark of a good team, is when things aren't going well, you still find a way to not, you know, get swept. Uh, and that's what this team has done all season. Yeah, I'm good with uh, tickling baseball reference to get some funny stat or, or some funny historical context, but I'm not so good at it when it comes to within a series, like a set four-game series. I, I don't know how to search for in a four-game series when X happens, how much does Y happen. I just wish I could, though, because I cannot remember a four-game series in which the Giants, or any team, scored three runs in a four-game series and still won two of them. That is bananas. I've never never heard of that before. I do think back to the season-opening series at Dodger Stadium when Joe Panic hit two home runs and they won one nothing twice. I, I remember that. I don't remember how the rest of the series went or how many runs the Giants scored. I can look that up if you have a, a nice point you'd like to ramble on. But that one definitely stands out as, okay, they barely did anything and they found a way to win a couple games but uh, that that's the only thing that that leaps to my mind now when it comes to the offensive struggles I'm looking at this team and when you're talking about regression and the Giants well you know here's the other shoes gonna fall and it's gonna hit you know it, it, here it is everyone's expecting it 
I see a couple of regression candidates. I see, okay, maybe Buster Posey is going to have an excellent year. Maybe he's not going to finish in the top five in MVP voting. Brandon Crawford still could have an excellent year. Maybe it won't be his best career offensive season. Like maybe you can find some regression here. When Longoria comes back, maybe there's some regression there. Other than those three, and that's a big caveat because those are three very important offensive players. Like, I'm not looking at a ton of regression on this team. I'm not seeing and I'm, I'm not pointing at all these players and going like, ah, they're, it's happening for them finally. I'm seeing a lot of room for improvement. I'm seeing Brandon Belt can get hotter. Donovan Solano can certainly get hotter. Alex Dickerson, when he comes back, can get hotter. Mike Stremski's hitting 223. There are just so many players, Flores, Dubon, Talkman, who can hit better than this. And so when it comes to regression, I'm not sold. I could see it in some places, but I don't see this whole team just going poof overnight. It's not a team where everybody is playing ridiculously over their head. And and Yastrzemski, I think, is the best example. Here's a guy who was eighth in the NL MVP voting. He should be their most valuable player. He should be the guy, when he's on the injured list, the team should crater. He's their star, uh, at least going off of you know last season and what he did in the latter half of 2019. And he's hitting 220. Like you said, he's he really hasn't been a difference maker for much of the season. And yeah, I, I think you can expect that Buster Posey isn't going to hit you know 370 all year. And you know Evan Longoria certainly uh, that that's going to be a loss that'll be tough for them to weather, uh, tougher than maybe some of the others. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. For every you know way over their head regression candidate, you see some some untapped potential and some untapped ability. And uh, by the way, I did look it up, so thank you for, for making a long enough point. That was a four-game series. It was the, to start the 2018 season. If you remember, Madison Bumgarner got whacked by a Whit Merrifield line drive in his last start of the spring, and so you had a tie block Clayton Kershaw matchup on opening day, and block beat him one nothing. Joe Panic home run. The next day, uh, another one nothing win with Hunter Strickland getting the save in both those games, by the way. So they won one nothing in the first two games of the season on two Joe Panic home runs, and then they got skunked 5 nothing and 9 nothing. So they scored two runs in a four-game series and won two games. That I don't think you're going <laughs> to... That's pretty much the, the lowest you can go. That limbo bar does not go lower than that. I don't think it's mathematically possible. I think that's it. That That's like the record in a four-game yeah. series. That, that's, that's by mathematical definition. Unless you have a forfeit somewhere in there. <laughs> Let's blow up some disco records and see how that goes. Am I making this up, but isn't there like an official forfeit score? Like when a game is forfeited, it doesn't just take the score. It's like there's, I want to say it's just like 4-3. It's like some random score. Am I making that up? That would be awesome. Oh, here we go. Yes. In event of a forfeiture, the score is recorded as 9 nothing, as stated in Rule 2.00 of the major. How drunk were they when they came up with that? Uh, let's just make it 9 nothing. Oh, they, they said the score equates to the number of innings in a regulation game. So they're just going to assume that you couldn't play all nine innings, so you win the first inning, you win the second inning, you win the third one nothing. So then, yeah, that's, that is that is very, very bizarre. But good call there. I don't know. I think it would have been funnier if I just made it up. Just like some some fever dream. It was 7-2, to two, the forfeit score. Yeah, um, We'll give you two innings here and there. You can look at things that are going right for the Giants. Of course, they're winning so much. They're, they're still in first place. They still have, I'm not, I haven't checked, they have the best record still, but they're right up there with one of the best records in baseball. But they're still, like, just to point a random player out, Kirk Caselli. Like, I don't think he's a great hitter. He might not even be a very good hitter. As far as backup catchers go, he should be an okay backup catcher. He's hitting 100 in 83 plate appearances, 70 at-bats, 100 with a 114 slugging percentage. 
he ain't that bad. He ain't that bad because Kirk Reeder wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? So you have pockets of disappointment around the Giants still. It sounds weird to be like, well, it's a good sign they have these pockets of disappointment. But in a way, it is. It's like you're not getting the magic backup catcher somehow winning every game with a with a home run. You know it's not going to last. You have just, you know, a bunch of guys doing their thing. And some of them are struggling. Some of them aren't. Yeah. And by the way, uh, how many of those uh, Kirk Reeder hit balls did he have on display in his shed? Can you tell me? Did you count them? You know, he had a wall of baseballs that was, I took a picture, but the picture doesn't do justice because when you're standing in front of a wall of baseball and you're not in the Hall of Fame, you know, and I'm looking around and you had like Billy Bob Thornton had autographed baseballs on there and you had just, it was a tremendous wall of baseballs and I couldn't look at all of them. So he probably had, you know, at least one batting practice home run in there. (laughs) <laughs> right. I think you make a good point about, you know, again, we, we sort of can go through and, and, and gloss over the um, the people who haven't really performed yet. And, and maybe you could say that some of them were larger regressor candidates. So Donovan Solano, hey, he's not putting up silver slugger numbers. Well, maybe that's because, you know, he was an overall regression candidate and, and we can't expect him to be the player that he was you know, the, the previous year and a half. So, I mean, you know, the, the, there are going to be some guys who just aren't going to perform this year. And it's not like there's some, some magic vein of, of gold that they haven't struck yet. I mean, but in a lot of cases, there's, I think, enough demonstrated career and enough projection. Like you said, Kirk Caselli is not going to hit like Johnny Cueto all year. And he's back now. And, and maybe the wrist, he just needed some time to calm that down. Mikey Stremski, I do believe, is going to have a run in him. Alex Dickerson may have a run in him, although now that he's got a back injury, that's the thing that's kind of held him held him uh, back, uh, I guess, um, you know, over his career. So I will say that if I can double back to this forfeit score, because this thing is still bouncing around <laughs> in my brain, I am legitimately upset because last week I was in charge of the um, Tuesday quiz that's on The Athletic. If you don't check them out, we have photos of the week. We have the, the, the weekly quiz. We've got the power rankings um, in which you can um, go in the comment section and just say all kinds of nice things about how, how well the, the writers did. Uh, ranking the teams, but this would have been a great question, and I, 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 I would have loved to go back and include this one. Is what's the score in a forfeit game? I wonder. I, I can't think many people would actually pick nine nothing in a multiple choice. I know I wouldn't have. So yeah, I'm kind of bummed that I didn't include this one. Yeah, I thought it was like five three or something like that. I remembered like a much more uh, typical baseball score. But yeah, I, I love those those old timey rules and just you know they, they've stuck on the books and no one pays attention to them because why would you? I mean, why not make it a hundred to nothing? I mean, just you know have some fun out there. It's a forfeit. And by the way, the power rankings did just come out today, and the Giants are ranked fourth. They slid from third to fourth. The Dodgers are ranked above them, and um, yeah, so. They're just going to have to keep going. I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, listen, the Dodgers have won uh, 37 straight division (laughs) titles. Like, they are a really good team. And I'm okay with, like, you know, just let's factor that in. And, yeah, the Dodgers were probably a little bit better than the Giants. I'm totally fine with that. The people who get mad in the comments of power rankings, I will never, ever understand. So Nick Roke did the power rankings for the National League anyway. He, he wrote up the, the capsules for each team. And he says, I'm going to vote for the Giants number one next week and probably every week the rest of the way. He said, uh, this team is 15 games above 500. They just win. And their run differential, which is the only thing all the other dumb voters look at anyway, is really nice now, plus 69. 
Really, really nice. Very nice. <laughs> Incredibly nice. The Giants are number one in spirit and number one in my heart. That is from Rockies writer Nick Roke, and he absolutely is not going to pick the Rockies to be number one in spirit and number one in his heart. So, But I, I, I guess this is a way for me to segue into what I wrote after Sunday's loss, uh, which was a little bit of a thunker of a loss. Uh, and, and it was kind of the antithesis of Giants games this year because they were behind early, they never scored, and that really is kind of different from the way most of the season has gone. Because when I did the research on, I just thought to myself, you know, this team is winning a lot of games despite having blown some saves. So what does that say about how many times they've just had the lead? And entering the National Series, they had a lead at some point in 52 of 61 games. That's 85.2% of the time. And it's when you look at that that you you tend to think, okay, well, this is why they haven't lost three in a row. This is why they haven't had a losing streak. This is why they've just found a way to to keep kind of adding. I mean, you're, you're going to win most of the games if you can take the lead 85% of the time. And then you look at where they outscored their opponents, and I thought, okay, it's all going to be in the early innings. And, and yeah, they're, they're, I think, plus 21 run differential in the first inning, plus 33 runs over the, the first three innings. But they're beating teams in in innings 5 through 7. That's where they're outscoring opponents by 51 runs over that three-inning span. And the only negative uh, innings, I think, there was minus 4 for the fourth inning, so it's about a wash, and then minus, like, you know, 12 or so in the ninth inning, which shouldn't surprise anyone who's watched this team all year. So it's all kinds of interesting things you can kind of wend your way into about why they're outscoring opponents uh, by as much as they are in innings five through seven. And it's, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, their depth and what we've talked about all season, uh, which is the worst pitcher on the Giants is not going to be someone who just doesn't belong in the big leagues, like it will be in for a lot of other teams. And I think that has a lot to do with why they've been so successful in these pockets of the game. Yeah, I'm glad you wrote about that because I had meant to write something similar earlier, but in a way that would have taken a lot more work, which is my brand. And what it was <laughs> what it was going to be is how many innings have the Giants played in the 2021 season where they've just you felt like, all right, this game's over. You know what I mean? So even if they didn't have a lead, they were a run back, two runs back, I guess, set it at a save situation, three runs back. How many innings throughout the whole season have they been three runs or more uh, or four or more runs away from winning? And I can't think that it was too many. I mean, they've had some stinkers. They've definitely been blown out. You know, the Dodgers have, have taken it to them occasionally, but... For the most part, every inning, you're still thinking, yeah, this team still has a chance to win. This team can still win this particular game. And that's kind of the sign of a good team. It's just they are always seemingly in it. So one interesting little split that you can find on baseball reference is what teams are batting when ahead or when uh, tied or when behind. And you think, okay, that's kind of, I mean, that there's all kinds of noise in that, right? I mean, you're going to have teams that are really bad teams that get boat raced and it's 9 nothing in the third inning, and they might be, you know, walloping another team's position player or back-end bullpen guy because it's a non-competitive game at that point. And then they score, you know, six runs in the last two innings and lose 11-6. Okay, so, you know, it doesn't necessarily portend great things if you are the league's best team in OPS when batting from behind. But 
you'd rather be first than last. And the Giants, 795 OPS while batting from behind is the best in the major leagues. And by a pretty wide margin, the Astros were next and they were about, about 26 points below them. So, and I can't think of a lot of games off the top of my head. There was one against the Padres where they might've been behind and then scored five runs and then lost to make it look at least a little respectable. But I can't think of a lot of games where they just were out of it and then scored a bunch of runs late to you know pretty up the score. I, I feel like this is a team that when they've, done damage while batting from behind, they've usually found a way to take the lead and probably in that five to seven inning range too. So yeah, I, I think, you know, even though they're coming off a really rough offensive series, you know, this is a team that I think has shown offensive potential to be ready for a starting pitcher and, and which Giants teams we know have struggled with that in the past. And this group seems to be really good at it. And they also seem to be pretty good at, 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 at coming back. And maybe that's a function of you know, Joe Ross was just the second pitcher all year to, to go seven innings against them. Um, that's only been done twice to the Giants all year. Not not a complete game, but just seven innings. And so those habits, those things they wanted to ingrain, that culture that they wanted to establish, I think we're kind of seeing some of the fruits of that. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You mentioned the Astros, which brings it brings me back to a point I, I wanted to mention earlier, and I'm going to get to it. We talked about this off air on Slack. The Astros have eight position players who qualify for the American League batting title. So the the qualification is 3.1 plate appearances for every team game played. So the Astros have eight players who qualify for the batting title. The Giants have one. They're the only team that has just one, and it's Brandon Crawford. That's the only position player who qualifies for the batting title. And so that speaks to when people are saying, oh, the Giants are playing over their head. They'll come back down to earth. I don't think so. Like, I think that there's a lot of room for growth, even if it's just getting players healthy. One player qualifying for the batting title. Yeah. And, you know, 2010, I think uh, for a good part of that year, um, the first baseman who shall no longer be named uh, was the only person who qualified by the end of the year. I think, as you pointed out, uh, off-air, Juan Uribe and uh, Andres Torres, they found a way to qualify. But I think that team only had four four players to qualify for the batting title, and they kind of won the World Series, you know? So um, <laughs> it all folds into what they want to do, is, is not necessarily have everyday players they rely on. And if they miss their projections or they get hurt, then the team's screwed. I mean, this, is, this was a, a Swiss Army Knife kind of roster, and uh, they have people they can plug in who can play multiple positions. Uh, they, they have ways that they can turn if uh, some players they were counting on all of a sudden aren't part of, of the scene, whether it's because they aren't performing or, or they or they get hurt. And this year, everybody's gotten hurt. So in a way, the way that the Giants are set up 
has been a good match for just the way baseball has gone this year with every team kind of having an injured list stuffed, stuffed full of players. It's important to note, I'm not suggesting necessarily that this is all just the Giants have been ravaged by injuries in a way that uh, no other team has. That's not the case in 2021. It's also a function of how the Giants were expecting to use. I mean, uh, their players, Alex Dickerson and, and Austin Slater, were probably never going to qualify for the batting title just because when one of them's in the lineup, the other one wasn't going to be. But at the same time, they were planning on having some players just in the lineup every day, whether it's Yastrzemski, whether it's Longoria, Tommy LaStella, you know, it's just been a funky year and they've had to rely on every last scrap of depth. And I still think that there is more in these players to, to kind of come out, especially, like you said, Solano might be just a typical, okay, he's 33. Maybe this is what we can expect going forward. Totally, you know, that's totally understandable. But with Yastrzemski, with Wilmer Flores is still just 29. I still think there's more in Slater. I still think there's more in DeBond. You know, I'm losing faith, but I just think that there's more in a lot of these guys. And that's that's a story that people should probably pay more attention to. Yeah. And, you know, they have the ability to kind of ride the hot hand a little bit. And whether it's, a, you know, Steven Duggar, and, and we'll see, you know, if, if, if that sort of, I guess, ebbs a little bit, then, you know, maybe they turn back to Dubon and give him a little more uh, time. But they found a way to create a culture that, and we're not in the clubhouse this year, so it's a little hard to really, really read the room like, like you could in past years. But it does seem like the buy-in that they need from players for this to work has more or less been there. That's important because if you start having guys stew about not playing, then you're not getting the buy-in that you need. So that was a real challenge. And I think uh, this coaching staff has put in a lot of work to create that kind of culture where it's collaborative. The proof is kind of in their record that it's uh, it's worked out to this point. Now, I'm going to flip the script a little bit because in previous installments of the Bags and Brisby podcast, we would talk about fun stuff, fun stuff, fun stuff, and then go, okay, it's time to talk about the bullpen. Well, <laughs> in this podcast episode, we have talked about less than fun stuff. Uh, but now I'm going to bring up the bullpen as... Look, the Giants scored negative three runs against the Nationals at the same time they, they split the series. And that's in part, in large part, because their bullpen is sort of taking shape. It's, it's kind of coming into its own and it's doing so with a lot of pitchers who weren't there just a, a few weeks ago. Just a couple of weeks ago with Zach Littell, Connor Menez, Dominic Leone, Jimmy Scherfe. Like, I don't know. I can kind of start seeing a functional bullpen coalescing out of this group of, of newer names. The Matt Whistler move, I think, was pretty pretty big. Okay, it wasn't big. I mean, the guy was making a million bucks. He hadn't pitched very well. He's not somebody that, you know, oh, no, what am I going to do with my Matt Whistler jersey that I just bought? I mean, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't a big move in that kind of way. But it did sort of signal their willingness to, to walk away from a guaranteed contract. And they wanted a bullpen that was going to have as much sort of optional optionableness, I'm making up words, that they could, you know, bring people up according to just how who had the hot hand. And that's hard to do when you've got a number of guys in that bullpen who you can't option. And they can't option Jake McGee. They can't option Harleen Garcia. They can't option Jose Alvarez. And they couldn't option Matt Whistler. So if you're one of those guys who's not on a multi-year deal and you are not optionable, it almost puts a little pressure on you to be that much better than the guys who are optionable. And 
Matt Whistler wasn't. So I think he would have been gone probably a month earlier if Camilo Duvall or Gregory Santos had, you know, basically shown that they were ready to be counted on on an everyday basis as, as big league relievers. But, you know, the time kind of came. And uh, so they show that they are, they're willing to experiment. They're not willing to just, hey, you know, these are the guys and trust the guys and throw them out there. That That's not what this is about. Sammy Long is in the big leagues. You know, Jimmy Scherfe is in the big leagues. These guys are getting uh, their trial now. I think we're going to continue to see mixing and matching and you know people coming up from the minor leagues and maybe we see Santos or, or Duvall with a new wrinkle or, or Kervin Castro or, or Matt Frisbee or we see Sammy Long put in a leveraged role perhaps. Who knows uh, if they get if they start to not have to worry about covering innings in the rotation if they get Logan Webb back. So I think that it just shows that they came in with a plan for the Latels, the Leones, the the Whistlers, you know, if these guys hit and they take off and they're great, then that's awesome. We found a, a lot of value. And if they don't, at least they provide some infrastructure and some sort of scaffolding for other players to emerge. And until they do, we have guys that we feel good about that are better than, you know, just fill-in relievers. And so now the, the bullpen is not pitched, you know, great. But again, you look at where they're outscoring teams in the fifth through the seventh. I think a lot of that is the bullpen depth and the Giants bullpen depth and their sort of less leveraged relievers are probably better than what um, a lot of the other teams have that they faced. This kind of goes back to an idea that I've been kicking around, and I'm going to have to write about it soon, in that if the Giants, if you had to play five-card stud in a way with your roster, the Giants would be hosed every year because they start the roster with kind of uh, players that they think give them the best chance to win, then they realize, okay, not you, not you. Okay, let me replace you. And that's how they go through their season. That's been their MO every year. When you think back to the the first year of this regime in 2019, Donovan Solano didn't come up until May 9th. Mike Yastrzemski, you know, was established much later. It's not like they just put these players on the roster opening day and then start playing a flaming guitar like it was Mad Max Fury Road. Like, they had to realize, okay, this guy's not working. I mean, when Donovan Solano played his first game with the Giants, you had Tyler Austin hitting second and Mac Williamson hitting cleanup. That wasn't the team they finished the season with. That's not the team they started 2020 with. So given a normal 162-game season, they're going to mix and match and, and, and kind of cut their losses and say, okay, we, we were all on the wrong track here. And I think that's what we're seeing with this bullpen now. It's, okay, we we really liked Wandy Peralta. We liked this guy. But, you know, now we kind of check out Leon and Scherfe and, and Sammy Long. And, and it's just a matter of figuring out the right mix. And, and this time they have a full season to do it. So basically, you're saying that like uh, Mookie Betts would be like an ace, you know, or Corey Seager would be like a king of diamonds. And the Giants don't have the aces and the kings. But, you know, they had Jack Clark at one time. That'd be a Jack. Um, so, yeah, they, they might have, you know, their best player might be a nine of clubs. But if you have four nine of clubs, then you've got four of a kind. Look at that analogy. And by the way, that's Jack Tashner erasure. Ah, you're right. Yeah. I forgot about Jack Tashner, darn it. I, no, I it, that's exactly it. It's just, it, it's trying to find that that three of a kind, four of a kind, because they're not going to have those aces. And every full year, and so far we've had one full year under the Zaidi regime, they were able to, by the end, present something like, hey, this is a functional lineup. How about that? That's a nifty parlor trick. Couldn't quite see it in 2020. If we had a full season in 2020, maybe the bullpen by the end of the season would have been a positive story. I think we might be seeing something like that because we're now past where we were last year. We are now blown. We've blown past 60 games. We're now at 65 games. And you're starting to see the Giants still making moves to improve a bullpen, which seems so far it's working. 
So now, because this is how my mind works, I'm thinking, who are the four best Jacks in Giants history? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Hyatt, right? Oh, hey, hey, I got one for you. Jack Thomas Snow. How about that? Oh, that's a that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm looking up now, and Jack Thomas Snow is a good one. Uh, Jack Sanford was really really good. Gaylord Perry has uh, Gaylord Jackson as his given name, so I'll allow it. But yeah, I, I think we pushed Jack Tashner off the team. I think so. Uh, Jack Wilson, uh, the old pirate shortstop, was never on the Giants, but it felt like he was. Uh, so I'm going to claim him. Jackson Williams, a nice backup catcher for a while. Connor Jackson, was he a minor league free agent at one point? Mm, I don't think so. Was he? Is, maybe. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I might have, I might have made that up. Uh, Steven Jack Klein, that's the wrong Steve Klein. Jack Hyatt, is, is, uh, he was the Giants' longtime farm director, and, and he was the guy who signed off on them uh, uh, drafting Buster Posey, which maybe they would have drafted him anyway, but Jack was the guy that Brian Sabian said his seal of approval kind of sealed the pick for him. So I, I think Jack Hyatt deserves a, a place on the all-Jack Giants team. <laughs> Our producer Brian just messaged us on Slack saying Jack Daniels was a favorite of the Giants during some of the rougher yes. seasons. And I, <laughs> I remember Jack Daniels, and uh, it wasn't Phil Coke, but it was just regular Coke. Jack and Coke uh, for 2018. Uh, woof. So I know we're at time, but I have a quick story to tell, if I may. And it involves Jack Daniels. So the Giants... <laughs> yes. Once upon a time, there was a baseball winter meetings, and, and you know, the boys can get a little rowdy at, at night sometimes, and we were in one of those huge um, atrium, followed by an atrium, followed by an atrium maze hotels. I think it was the one in Nashville, uh, Opryland, and there was a Jack Daniels sort of steakhouse and bar and grill, and there was a statue of Jack Daniels outside it, and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't made of real rock. It was made of, like, you know, some sort of foam whatever, so... We go out the next morning, and I'm walking by it, and it's missing its head. Statue's there, head is not. And comes to find out that a certain member of the Giants' traveling party, non-uniformed, non-coach personnel, <laughs> but someone who liked to have a good time, I guess was roughhousing with the statue, knocked it over, and knocked the head off. And so the Giants are responsible for decapitating the Jack Daniels statue in Nashville. That is, that is my story. That's like Jebediah Springfield. They took the head of Jebediah Springfield. Uh, you can't mess with Jack Daniels in Tennessee. Are you kidding me? What's funny is they have those statues everywhere. Like there's one I just walked by the concourse at the Chase Field in Arizona. And every time I see that statue, I just think back to, to that giant's person who shall remain nameless. You know, I'm a, I'm a whiskey bourbon guy, and I know that uh, you like to sip on a whiskey or, or a bourbon every so often. Jack Daniels, to me, it tastes like bananas. Tastes like bananas. It's gross. It tastes like caramel color. Yeah, don't like it. I mean, if they want to send me uh, a box and for me to say it doesn't taste like bananas, uh, I will be happy to accept the box because it, it's fine mixing. You know, I'll mix it with ginger. I'll mix it with uh, Coke. Straight on the rocks. Tastes like bananas. And sometimes you're on a flight and that's what they have. And so you're drinking Jack Daniels and you go, this is fine. It just it tastes like bananas. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I bring my Woodford with me. You're not supposed to. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not drink on the plane, by the way. So just uh, in case anybody from the FAA is listening. I don't drink on the plane. I drink inside of the plane. And I do it often. <laughs> All right. This has been episode 140 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Hopefully, the next time we are talking, we will have runs to talk about. Uh, we will be back on Thursday, and we will see you then.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.